Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I have a wildly exciting announcement to make. You do not want to miss this, so stay tuned. We're about to watch one of the most foundational episodes in all of Star Trek. This is the introduction of the Borg. But what do you do when you're faced with a threat like the Borg? And how do you move forward from an encounter like that? Well, this is exactly what I'm going to be talking about as we start the 16th episode of the second season of The Next Generation, Q-Who. Jordi LaForge and new engineer Sonia Gomez meet in engineering. She's positive, energetic, and super friendly. We later find out that she's a top specialist with antimatter. She is literally everything you could possibly want in a new employee. So, of course, Jordy, as chief engineer, is encouraging and very welcoming to her, right? Like, like there's no way, no way as an experienced officer and a manager that he would immediately squash the enthusiasm of a team member, right? Someone who just arrived. You certainly aren't shy with your opinions. Oh, well, okay. Uh, Well, maybe we are. So, you can probably imagine after that that Gomez is feeling a little deflated, probably even embarrassed. She tries to apologize. Yeah, she apologizes for being enthusiastic about being assigned to the freaking flagship of the Federation. I mean, wow, I'm sorry. I just, how how could LaForge just shut her down like that? I mean, if this is how he runs engineering, he's going to have a lot of people just punching the clock and getting in the bare minimum. When you have someone like like Sonia Gomez, who's an expert in their field, they're excited to be there, enthusiastic about the job and the potential, you, you stoke that fire. You recognize and reward it. You show that person that every ounce of their excitement is justified and even more. What a massive, huge missed opportunity for this relatively new chief engineer. 
Well, Gomez is, uh, she's apologizing for loving her job. And because life sometimes tends to like kicking people when they're down. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? She turns around and splashes her hot chocolate right into Captain Picard's polyester spandex bland pajama uniform. Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Captain. She awkwardly tries to rub the chocolate off of him with her bare hands. LaForge, LaForge steps in and says that this was all his fault. Indeed. Which honestly is a real step up from encouraging the disengagement in his team we saw just a moment ago. Picard handles this with a little more professionalism. Ensign Sonia Gomez, I think it will be simpler if I simply change my uniform. Really, how great is this? He says her name, he uses a tone that's warm, says it's all cool, and then he offers a solution. She takes the opening and tells Picard how excited she is to be on Enterprise. And again, again, she apologizes for her mistake. And all the while, Jordy's behind her, rolling his eyes, even rolling his head around. He, he is looking embarrassed. He gets a parting shot off on her as, as they get back to work and she takes care of her hot chocolate mug. Seriously, I don't know how anyone could watch this scene and not lose all respect for LaForge. If I ever saw a manager that I worked with treating a new addition to the team the way he treated Gomez, well... I would absolutely follow the structure I laid out in the episode on Voyager Rise because we would be having a very difficult conversation. On his way to his quarters to change, Picard steps out of the turbo lift and onto a shuttlecraft? Huh. And who is there waiting for him? Wearing a Starfleet uniform even, complete with captain's pips. What is going Welcome, on? Welcome, Picard, the shuttlecraft six. That's right. It's Q. We first met Q in the Starfleet Leadership Academy episode, Encounter at Farpoint. But if you're new here, welcome. And Q, Q is a nearly omnipotent being from the Q continuum. He's forged a unique relationship with the crew of the Enterprise and specifically with Captain Picard. Episodes with him tend to either be huge existential crises or, in my opinion, poor attempts at humor. This one, spoiler alert, is of the existential variety. And speaking of existential threats, we're back with LaForge and Gomez. He's praising her work at the Academy on Antimatter and, and taking her to 10 Forward. That's the popular bar on the ship. He wants them to get to know each other better. But, I mean, for a great intent, he's sure not starting out well. You need to learn how to slow down. The thing here is, he thinks that he's helping her out but he's actually stifling her personality. If we think of management and even leadership as a martial art, there was a time when management would have been like Krav Maga or BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, as, a, as the boss, I'm going to tell you what to do, how to act, and who you need to be when you're at work. If you don't listen, I'll bend your arm in ways you never even imagined possible. But what we know now as more mature leaders and managers, is that you are severely limiting the potential of the people you work with when you do this, and you're giving them no choice but to become disengaged. Modern management, now stick with me through this martial arts analogy here, modern management, better, better management, it's more like, it's more like Aikido. You move and you roll with the person. You use their motion 
and their momentum to get to a better place. In fact, I talked about this when I watched Code of Honor. See, Aikido puts a special emphasis on ma'ai, or the appropriate safe distance between people or a person and a conflict. Most martial arts teach you to attack and strike as you are able. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? While Aikido teaches you to use your opponent's motion and momentum to move them out of the way and then create distance, a safe distance between you uh, to create ma'ai. And this applies to my metaphor here. An effective manager will use the personality, the motion, skills, and momentum of a person to help them reach a better place. And then they'll create ma'ai, an appropriate safe distance between them. Now, this can be a large distance. When you've got a great relationship with the person, they've demonstrated they're super skilled and everything's great. Or it can be a close distance, like like when you're still developing a relationship or maybe the person's skill in an area is still growing and developing. What we see here is LaForge using, well, maybe not Krav Maga, maybe not even BJJ really, but something maybe more like karate or taekwondo. He's not bending her arm to get her into a place, but he's forcing her into a certain box and a certain way of being. Well, he goes on and he brings up part of that dominant toxic culture that I talked about in my episode on Lower Decks, Second Contact. You know, you're awfully young to be so driven. She says that she has to be. She wants to be a part of the greatness that is the Enterprise and knows that she needs to be the best to be with the best. Jordy reassures her, but continues to back her into a mold that she doesn't necessarily want to fit into. It'll be there for you, believe me. On the bridge, they realize that Picard is not on the ship and that a shuttle is missing. Dude, where's my shuttle crap? I'm sorry, but if a shuttle was missing, a whole shuttle, don't you think like, I don't know, they would have known about that right away? Like there would be an alarm or something like that? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair here. Maybe they do. Maybe this is happening like at the same time that Picard walked onto the shuttle. I don't know. Maybe. Well, either way, Lieutenant Worf, the security chief and data head of operations are searching and scanning for the shuttle, but they can't find it anywhere. They continue the search and they widen the search pattern on the shuttle. As they're scanning, Picard is trying to contact the Enterprise, but Q has other plans. We have business, Picard. He says he has a request and agrees to return to the Enterprise if Picard will hear him out. And boom, just like that, they're in 10 forward and everything's back to normal. My status board indicates the shuttle is back in Bay 2. Immediately, the tension ramps up. In Season 2 of The Next Generation, Whoopi Goldberg joined the cast as Guinan, the bartender at 10 Forward. She dispenses synthahol and advice with the best of them. Well, Picard and Q pop into the bar and she immediately comes after him. We have had some dealings. Those dealings were two centuries ago. They're both holding up their hands like a wizard's duel at Hogwarts. Picard is able to talk them down just as Riker and Worf walk in. Q finally gets to the reason he's here. You see, he was kicked out of the Q continuum. He's lost. He's alone. And he wants to join the ship. He wants to join the Enterprise as a member of the crew. Picard is very interested in what this would look like. Our mission is to seek out new and different life forms, and you certainly qualify as one of the most unique I've ever encountered. They talk through it, and Guinan is not impressed. 
After that, Picard says no. He says there just isn't a way they can trust him. He's a proven threat to the ship, the crew, and Picard personally. So Q shifts his pitch. And to be honest, I kind of respect this. He's, he's going for it. He says that there are threats in the galaxy that the Federation is not prepared for, that they can't even imagine, and that he can be there with the Enterprise side by side to help them when they encounter those things. But Picard thinks they are ready. He says that this, things like this, is exactly what they exist to do. So Q calls him on it. He snaps his fingers, and suddenly, they're 7,000 light years away from where they were. At maximum warp, it would take them, I don't know, maybe about three years to have gotten this far. They're near an uncharted system that's designated as J-25. And when asked why he brought them here, Q says, Why to give you a taste of your future. And then he disappears. They ask Guinan for advice, as her people have been in this part of the galaxy before. If I were you, I'd start back now. Words of warning to someone like you or me, but words of encouragement to Jean-Luc Picard. They explore the system. They find an M-class planet. That's a planet that's livable for, uh, for most life forms. There's evidence of a civilization there, but it's all, it's all gone. All the technology appears to have been scooped up. Suddenly, a ship starts scanning them and is heading directly towards them. We immediately recognize that we do, now watching it, as a Borg cube. But to the crew and to viewers in 1989, it's just a massive, tangled construction of metal shaped as a perfect cube. Data reports that there are no life signs on the ship. Picard asks Guinan to look at it, check it out, tell him what she knows. She shares that this ship, these people encountered her people about a century ago and scattered them throughout the galaxy. They're called the Borg. They raise shields and are standing by. The music, the music here is great, super tense. Out of nowhere, a person, a, a being of some kind, transports directly into engineering. They're, they're a mangled mess of, of machine and humanoid, almost, almost machine zombie-like. LaForge sees this thing, raises the alarm. Security, led by Worf and Picard, hurry down. The humanoid, the Borg drone, is completely ignoring them and is just observing the technology. It doesn't respond to Picard's attempts to communicate. Q appears and starts egging him on. You're nothing to him. The Borg starts running through the ship's computer. We see bureaucracy in action as Picard has Worf intervene. Mr. Worf. Edson. Yep. Looks like it rolls downhill in the 24th century, too. <laughs> well, the security guard approaches the Borg, who just shrugs him off, sending him crashing into the bulkhead. Worf blasts it with a phaser, and it crumples to the deck. Seconds later, another appears to replace it. It picks up right where the other left off, not even looking at the Enterprise crew. Worf shoots it as well, but it has a shield of some kind now. A very, a very Lynchian Dune kind of shield. Shield practice. Shield practice? Gurney, we had practice this morning. I'm not in the mood. Not in the mood. Mood's a thing for cattle and love play, not fighting. I'm sorry, Gurney. And it blocks the phaser. It doesn't even flinch when fired upon. Finishes its job, takes some pieces of the fallen Borg, and returns to the cube. Powerless. Picard pulls the senior staff and Guinan together. Because her people had contact with the Borg, I've requested Guinan to participate in this conference. She shares that when the Borg encountered her people, they swept through quickly 
and there was little left of their civilization. Says they don't do anything piecemeal. They hit, and they hit big, and they're not open to negotiation. Right on cue, the Borg hail the ship, and for the first time ever, we hear the Borg. If you defend yourselves, you will be punished. Troy, the counselor, reads through her empathic abilities. There is no single leader, no, no individual. Instead, there's a, there's a hive or a collective, a collective mind. A tractor beam envelops the ship. They can't break away and they lose their shields. An almost surgical laser cuts a hole into the ship and pulls a section out. They fire all phasers on the cube multiple times and finally, finally break the tractor beam. But the damage is done. Massive, massive sections of three decks were removed from the ship. Eighteen people were in those sections. Picard, again, calls the senior team together to discuss. In engineering, LaForge and Gomez are working to repair the shields. The reality of her dream assignment is starting to hit her. Eighteen people. Dead just like that. LaForge here responds with, with the right message, but delivered in the totally wrong way. Sonia, stop it. We'll have time to grieve later. I mean, he's right. They have to stay focused on the task at hand. The ship, the ship is relying on them. But a little compassion goes a long way. He could have just as easily have said, I hear you, Sonia, it's devastating. But we have 1,100 people depending on us right now. Let's get the shields back up, and then we can grieve. Like, how hard, how hard would that have been? In the staff meeting, Guinan shares more about the Borg. And then Q appears. He explains that the Borg's motivations don't match anything the crew would possibly expect. This isn't about power. It's not about politics. The Enterprise is simply something for them to consume, something for them to use. Picard tries to call Q out on the 18 people that have died, but he just disappears. Worf reports that the casualty list is ready to be read, but Picard says, We'll deal with that later. Yeah, I gotta disagree. With Picard on this one. The shields are back up. They aren't in an immediate crisis. Take take 30 seconds and honor those people that have given their lives. This is a thing that Captain Sisko does beautifully in Deep Space Nine. During the Dominion War, he took the time every day to read the casualty reports, to see the names of the people that had served and had died. When the war started, I read every name. I felt it was the least I could do to honor their sacrifices. Picard should have done the same. And before you call me out for getting on LaForge about this, you have to understand the situation is totally different. LaForge and Gomez were responsible for getting the shields up so that more people wouldn't die. Also, Picard is the captain. He is the leader. Taking the time, just a moment, to value and respect the lives of the people he works with has a massive positive effect on every single person on the ship. After Q disappears, Riker suggests they use this moment of quiet peace to, to learn more about the Borg, to take advantage of the opportunity and collect as much data as possible. He, Data, and Worf beam over to the cube to explore. They walk through the corridors, passing hundreds of Borg. They're plugged into these, these alcoves along the hallways, and they're completely oblivious to the away team's presence. They either don't see us or don't see us as a threat. They find that the Borg's technology is far beyond the Federation's. 
There's an iconic scene here where they find a Borg nursery. We get a quick shot of infants with Borg implants. Seeing this, Riker assumes that they start as biological life forms and over time become a fusion of the human brain, artificial intelligence, and cybernetics. While he sees this, Data observes that the Borg ship is regenerating on its own. They beam back over to the Enterprise and Picard wastes no time. Let's get the hell out of here. Warp eight. The cube is in hot pursuit. A cool scene that shows the metal of the ship repairing itself happens. Picard goes to maximum warp and they fire some torpedoes towards the Borg, but they're still, they're still gaining on them. Q shows up and says, says there is no hope. Admit it, Picard, you're out of your league. So Picard does the right thing. He does... He does what a leader should do, right here. You wanted to frighten us. We're frightened. You wanted me to say, I need you. I need you. Q snaps his fingers, and they're right back. Back where we started. Q acknowledges the courage it took for Picard to ask for help, but Picard brushes that aside. He calls Q out immediately for the deaths of 18 people. But Q isn't deterred. He drives his point home again that the galaxy is dangerous and the Enterprise needs to be prepared. Guinan and Picard are talking in 10 forward. She says that since the Borg are aware of the Federation's existence, they will be coming. They will be coming. And yes, they will be. And the horrors that are right in front of Picard are unimaginable. The Borg were introduced, ultimately, to right the wrong that was the introduction of the Ferengi. Well, We'll get to that in a future episode. But this, here we go. The Borg is the new big bad in Star Trek, and they fit the bill perfectly. Cut the corks, corks is fun. Come right now, go walk, run. Are you a leader, a Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. Hi there, cadets. In our last episode, where we watched Discovery's Choose Your Pain, we talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Well, I created a tool to help you do the same thing for yourself. For your free copy of this tool, visit jeffaken.com and join our mailing list. You'll get access to a copy that you can download for yourself and for your team. Just visit jeffaken.com and join the mailing list. Thanks. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. A couple of things on the production of this episode first. This came out in May of 89. And if you didn't know that, the soundtrack... would absolutely make sure you did. It's about as 80s sci-fi as it gets. It's totally effective when it needs to be, but honestly, it kind of pulled me out of there a few times. The pacing of the episode has it's kind of that weird same thing. For an episode that packed so much in, there's a lot of weird, like, I don't know, just long, 
lingering shots on the Enterprise that just 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 hang there for a, for a while. Like it feels like they were just trying to fill time. The Borg that we see in this episode don't quite look like what we'll come to know them as, but they're still great, terrifying, super unique. Given the budget they were working with, they got super creative. They ended up with a look that modernizes, but but doesn't change too much as as Star Trek goes on. It doesn't change, you know, like some <coughs> Klingons <coughs> do throughout multiple multiple series of Star Trek. I, me, I personally, I love Q. I think they go a lot of different directions with him through the franchise. But to me, this, this is when he's best, when he tests our humanity. The last time we at the Starfleet Leadership Academy saw him back in Encounter at Farpoint, he had the Enterprise crew stand trial for all of humanity. In a one-off line, we learned that apparently... We, we got through that successfully. The first time we met you, you put us on trial for the crimes of humanity. Of which you were exonerated. Which is fascinating since this trial kind of keeps coming up, right? When all good things, even up into the Picard series. Well, we get hints of stuff between Guinan and Q that honestly sounds super cool and interesting. But it's never, it's never addressed. Maybe it will be in Star Trek Picard. At the time of this recording, season two has just started. So if that storyline between Q and Guinan caught your interest, yeah, don't, maybe don't hold your breath for the next chapter. This, this was a pivotal episode for Star Trek that changed the franchise forever. Without this, there would be no Seven of Nine, no Locutus, arguably no Deep Space Nine, and Voyager would be stuck flying the whole 70 years to get home in a very, very real way, this episode sets the foundation for all Star Trek that follows. Command codes verified. I covered a lot in the episode recap that probably should actually go in this section. The way Jordi LaForge treated Sonia Gomez is inexcusable. I'm going to talk about the damage that his leadership style causes and offer some strategies that can help ensure that you don't fall into the trap that he did. I'm also going to dive into two amazing things that we got from Picard. First, he identified one of the core reasons so many companies, so many institutions of business have fallen, complacency. And he does one of the most powerful things any leader can ever possibly do. He asks for help. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. If I were to describe an ideal employee or a member of a team, I'd likely use words like enthusiastic, friendly, skilled, invested, and eager to take on new challenges and opportunities. What you don't want is someone that is jaded, cynical, and looks at new things as obstacles or an inconvenience. Now, based on this episode, I just described two specific people. The jaded and cynical person, Jordi LaForge. The enthusiastic, invested person, Sonia Gomez. And we watched that jaded person, who happens to be in a position of authority, do everything they could to shut down all the things that describe an ideal member of a team. In fact, it seemed to me that LaForge wanted someone that was skilled, right? 
but also had no excitement about the job and, and, and really no, I don't know, no sense of, no sense of wonder. The strategy, the strategy I want to offer you is, it's really what I described earlier. Roll with your team members and let them rock. Infuse them with a sense of awe and wonder in what they're doing and feed that excitement. For someone that chooses to serve in Starfleet, being assigned to the Enterprise is literally the dream. Never forget that. So think about, think about your job and the people you work with. There was a time, there was a time when you wanted this job. Like you applied for it, you competed. Even if you were headhunted, you had to go on the dog and pony show display of, of, of showing off your, you know, your skills and doing your interviews. And, and you try to win all those people over because, because you wanted that job. Now, if that excitement, the excitement you have interferes with the work, yeah, yeah, you talk about that, but not in a way that kills their exuberance. You just, you just redirect it. You try to continually tap into that moment when the person wanted the job. After watching this episode, along with the Lower Decks episode, First First Contact, which we we haven't watched yet on the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I've decided that Sonia Gomez is my hero. She overcame so much. She overcame a toxic boss that tried to contain her, and spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Lower Decks and are planning to, you can skip this next little, little phrase here, But even though she worked for a toxic boss, she goes on to become captain of the USS Archimedes. Don't worry about it. I've done way worse in front of much more intimidating captains. I would be doing a massive disservice if I didn't bring this next point up too. Sonia Gomez, in addition to being new on the Enterprise, is also a woman. A woman working in a highly technical field. I don't know the lived experience of women like her. I can't do it justice, but I can point out that when she and Jordy are talking, you know, you're awfully young to be so driven. Yes, I am. I had to be. I had to be the best because only the best get to be here. It's not just about earning a spot on the Enterprise. Women have to work harder than men do in order to get the same recognition. A CNN article by Leonora Reese, I... I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, from 2018 showed that women, on average, needed a year and a half more education and nearly a full year's more experience than men to be considered for the same job. She cites an anecdotal example of Donna Strickland, a Canadian physicist that couldn't get a full professorship until she won a Nobel Prize. As has been pointed out, I join Marie Curie and Maria Gapert Meyer as the only women to win this prize. Wonder how many of her colleagues were also Nobel Prize winners. I'm guessing that number is going to be pretty darn close to zero. So LaForge's actions weren't just about stifling an eager new employee. No, they were also exacerbating a male-dominated field and minimizing the effort put in by a woman who just wanted to be able to contribute to at, at a level like her male counterparts. Honestly, as we watch more TNG, we're going to see a lot more problematic behavior from Jordy LaForge when interacting with women. But for now, for now, we're just going to focus on this one. Shifting gears, this isn't the first time that I've talked about the value, the importance of asking for help. If working with people for most of my life has taught me anything, 
It's that no one has all the answers. No one person knows everything. But what's weird is that so many people act like they have to have all the answers. They have to know everything. It's like, it's like there's some kind of gold medal or prize for knowing it all, even though we all know that it's just not possible. The cool thing is we have an example in Picard of someone who does not try to be the one, the one with all the answers. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to be the man with the plan. In this episode, he comes face to face with, well, with death. I mean, it is crystal clear that if they keep doing what they're doing, the Enterprise will be assimilated and all the crew will be lost. So there's a version of this where Picard could go, oh, macho, and think they need to go down fighting. But really, really, that would just be dumb. I'm going down with the ship. Nothing would be gained from that. Picard knows this, and so the moment that he knows all is lost, he gives up all pretense of ego, and he asks for help. He admits ignorance. He admits weakness. These are things that, that many of us have been taught to, to never, absolutely never, ever do, but he does, and he immediately saves a thousand lives and arguably saves trillions more as the Federation is dramatically more prepared for the Borg than they would have been if he'd tried to be the expert and be the macho guy and had gotten the Enterprise destroyed. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Owning your ignorance allows others to step in and provide great answers. Socrates, who I've been reading a lot of here recently, kind of thinking he and Sonia Gomez might actually be my heroes now. But Socrates said, the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. I couldn't agree more. And Picard puts that into action here. Now, near the end of the episode, Picard says, Perhaps what we most needed was a kick in our complacency. And I think that this, honestly, might show more wisdom than his ability to surrender his ego and ask for help did. What do do Kodak... Polaroid, BlackBerry, Blockbuster, IBM, Sears, AOL, and TiVo all have in common? Well, they failed to innovate. They were too complacent. And of these companies that still exist, they're either owned by someone else or they are a shadow of what they once were. He's dead, Jim. So why do we get complacent? Why do companies actively stifle innovation and experimentation? In my opinion, a lot of this is rooted in economic thinking that prioritizes shareholders over customers. But the odds are neither you or I are going to change that, especially not today. But what we can change is the thinking around innovation and how it combats complacency. If we compare Starfleet from the time of Kirk to the Starfleet at the time of Picard, wow, there was a lot of advancement. But We see in other episodes of TNG and DS9, for example, there are still Excelsior-class ships in service. Lots of them. By the time of TNG, this design is nearly 100 years old. Even even the Galaxy-class starship is just an incremental upgrade from the Ambassador-class, which is what the Enterprise-C was. So we can take this to mean we can assume that there were some periods of advancement, but but a foundation in, I don't know, I'm going to guess a foundation in risk aversion, probably even cost avoidance, and, well, comfort stifled continuous advancement. Because, like, when things are going well, hey, like, that's awesome. 
You should absolutely celebrate that for sure. But know that the things that drove you to make things go well are also driving your competition. They are right behind you. You have to always challenge your assumptions and the status quo. You should always be looking for vulnerabilities and blind spots. Lisa Bedell wrote an important book that describes exactly how to do this. Kill the Company offers a framework where you give employees freedom to come up with ideas and business plans to kill your company. Imagine that you're the competition. What would you do today to put ourselves out of business? Ask the people you work with to come up with a plan for another company to come in and, and well, kill your company. This is a brilliant way to uncover those vulnerabilities and the blind spots in your business. It also acknowledges one of the tenets of lean and a foundational belief of myself and the Starfleet Leadership Academy. The people closest to the work know it best. They know what's going well and they know what isn't. They know they know what needs to happen. So, so let them do it. Check out the book, Kill the Company, for a great guide on how to make this happen. I've got it linked in the show notes. Now, Picard had a different experience here. He got to actually see the next big thing in action. It's almost like he got a glimpse of a competitor's strategic product plan and has an opportunity to shift operations to compete. We'll see how this goes when we get to the best of both worlds two-parter, but I will share here that the USS Defiant, the ship in Deep Space Nine, exists specifically because of this interaction with the Borg. Picard shared what he learned and Starfleet designed and built a ship specifically to combat this threat. Just imagine, just imagine if they'd been exploring possibilities the, the whole time between, you know, the Kirk days and now, and they weren't just relying on 100-year-old technology to get them by. Hmm. And I wonder what this would look like for you and the teams that you work with. I haven't forgotten, and it's time for the huge announcement. The Starfleet Leadership Academy has joined the Electrocast Media Better Business Network. I'm joining incredible podcasts like Deep Leadership, DIY for Business, and Polly Campbell's Simply Said, and others to bring you high-quality podcasts that both entertain and enrich. This means you can look forward to the same value, quality, and format that I offer today but you'll be just one step away from a growing network of other great podcasts. Now you can celebrate this with me on Twitter at SFLA podcast and on all the social media at Jeff T Aiken. That's Jeff T as in 10 forward A K I N. And if you joined the Starfleet leadership Academy mailing list, if you haven't, you're missing out on quite a bit of cool stuff. When you join, you'll receive a free performance review document based on the episode I did on Discovery, Choose Your Pain. Visit jeffaken.com to join or click the link in the show notes. Now, computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. It's one of my favorites. From the first season of Discovery, it's magic to make the sanest man go mad. Remember, because Discovery runs in season-long arcs, we're taking this series in air date order. The last episode we watched was Letha, and this one is the one that comes right after. And it is a blast. Harry Mudd makes his return, and we have a lot of fun with a classic Star Trek trope. So until then, 
ex Astris Scientia. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.